You gotta fix that before everyone gets suspicious. Like, what? This is becoming more professional? No, no, no. No, no professionalism here. Uh, in fact, I'll probably have to cut out most of that beginning part. Which is fine because m m for some reason mine kind of bounced and like didn't hit when I hit record. It didn't record mm -hmm. right away. Oh, well, that's good then. Okay, cool. Well, then we'll start the show here and say, this is the FBI's Most Unwanted. I'm Matt. I'm Justin. And so we are uh, on season two, episode 20. This one is called Humbug. It's not and Christmas. It's not Christmas-oriented <laughs> episode. This is humbug in the old-fashioned circus sense in terms of, um, uh, mm, I just lost, in terms of, uh, like, trickery and gaffes and stuff like that. We'll get into <laughs> Guffaws. What? Guffaw, yeah, never, guffaws. And oh, never guffaws yeah. as in yeah. laughs. Okay, yeah. got it, got it, got it. I was like, what? Are you, wait, what? Okay. <laughs> I misunderstood you for some reason. Anywho. Uh, this one was written by or, uh, written by Darren Morgan, directed by Kim Manners. Uh, it originally aired March thirty first, nineteen ninety five, and it's got some uh, <clears throat> recognizable uh, guest stars. We've got uh, Michael Anderson as Mister Nut, the Enigma <laughs> as Mister Nut. Yeah, <laughs> Mr. Nut. Ooh. Uh, <clears throat> we'll talk about all the guest stars as we go on, but the Enigma as the conundrum, which big stretch there, guys. <laughs> and then Vincent Schiavelli, Schiavelli, I don't know exactly how to pronounce his last name, as Lanny. Um, let's see, a little bit of uh, background. Uh, this was Darren Morgan's first script for the series. Uh, he had played the fluke man in the episode The Host, and he had helped his brother Glenn Morgan with a script for a couple episodes, because uh, Glenn Morgan is a regular writer and producer and stuff for the series. Um <clears throat> Oh, I also forgot to say Jim Rose is in this as Dr. Blockhead. And Jim Rose, of course, does the uh, Jim Rose Circus Sideshow, if anybody knows what that is. Um, if I'm not mistaken, didn't the Jim Rose Circus come to college when we were there? Or was um, that... I don't remember a Sideshow Circus when we were in college. I remember... No, I remember a magician guy... That or can Brian Brushwood, Brushwood, yes. Yeah. Um, I it, I feel like I mean, the mid, I mean, when we when the Champlain Valley Fair had 
has usually mm-hmm. like a, a sideshow kind of thing, but I never remember. Wait. Um, there was a sideshow circus, but I don't think it was the Jim Rose sideshow circus. Now that I'm looking at, no, who it was, was it was related to a, it was someone who was friends with one of the guys we knew who was a carny. Yes, they were um, uh, Toy Store's friends. Um, yes, his his nickname for in college was Toy Store. So yes. <laughs> um, yeah, because he worked for the circus, but these were, uh, if I, they were like the Jim Rose side show circus. But now that I'm thinking of it, they were uh, the something family circus. But they did the sideshow stuff. They did the blockhead. They did the you know the walking on glass. They did the the whip stuff. They did all the the regular I've, side. I've never been to those kind of sideshows. Uh, they're in my life. weird, dude, and they're not very popular anymore. We'll talk about it as we talk about this episode. But it was a '90s type thing to do, like those extreme sideshow circuses. Yeah, I just never really found an interest in them. I think. The mm-hmm. only time I ever saw anything that along those lines was Brian Brushwood when he came because it was mm-hmm. more magician and illusion. Yeah, and he but he does a blockhead act, Brian yeah. Brushwood. Which if anybody doesn't know, Blockwood act or blockhead act is like shoving nails in your nose and stuff or hammering nails into your nose and stuff like that. Yeah, that's that. probably the furthest I've ever um, seen in terms of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, hanging from hooks and stuff uh, like that, which uh, I uh, I know somebody that does that. By the way, I do too. <laughs> it's weird. It's fucking really weird. Um. So anyway, uh, some background on this episode. Um. Morgan, uh, Darren Morgan, rather, he was uh, not super comfortable joining the the staff. He he felt. Like he was a comedy writer or he was a comedy writer. And obviously the X-Files at that point wasn't a comedy show, even though they had like good jokes and stuff like that from time to time. Um, But then his brother was like, well, how about you try writing an episode about sideshow performers so you can get a little bit of your, your goofiness and weirdness in there. So Darren went ahead and, uh, that's when he discovered the Jim Rose sideshow circus and was like, okay, I'll, I'm going to cast Jim Rose. I'm going to cast the Enigma. Um, then they got uh, Twin Peaks actor Michael J. Anderson. Uh, he's a, a little person. and That's where I got... recognize the guy. I've never yes, watched he... Twin Peaks, but I know the character. Yes, he was in Twin Peaks, and uh, I actually never saw Twin Peaks. I recognize Michael J. Anderson from the short-lived HBO series Carnival. I never watched that either. I just remember seeing photos of him, especially on like Twin, going through like Instagram mm-hmm. or like people talking about Twin Peaks, and I've always seen a photo of him. I recommend Carnival, however. I if I am going to recommend Carnival to anybody, I have to recommend it with the caveat that it was canceled without ever resolving, so you're going to be frustrated at the end of the second season because oh, my favorite thing. It's it's terrible. Like the show itself up to the point it ends is good and then you go what the fuck. <laughs> um and then uh Vincent Schiavelli 
or Schiavelli, um, very well-known character actor. I oh, He's been in a ton of stuff. I can never stop thinking of him as the guy who taught Patrick Swayze how to move things in Ghost. All right. <laughs> You've seen Ghost, right? I've seen Ghost, but all I can remember from Ghost is the pottery scene. Oh, well, there's a part in Ghost uh, where Vincent Schiavelli plays uh, like a, a, a ghost of like a murdered homeless dude who was pushed in front of the oh, train. Oh, yeah. Okay. And yeah, he's the one who, who kicks the can and like shoves people and makes Patrick Swayze realize, wait a minute, I can touch living things and physical things and teaches him how to do it. Um. So, also, this episode um, was, you know, like I said, when they first started bringing in some comedy to the show. However, uh, Kim Manners and some of the other crew cut some of the more explicitly comic scenes. I don't know what they were. I've just heard that there were more of them, but they were a little uncomfortable that it wasn't x files E enough. Uh, but later on, uh, Darren Morgan came back and did more episodes that were more comedic, and they're all great episodes. I can't wait for you to see them. And you'll, But if you like this episode, you're going to like Clyde Bruckman's Final Repose, War of the Coraphages, and Jose Chung's From Outer Space. Um, so, um, also, there's a lot of themes in this episode. We'll talk about them as, they, as we go along. But themes about, obviously... Um, since uh, obviously not judging people by what they look like, uh, not um, basically a lot of, of themes about, you know, uh, discrimination and kind of built in um, um, prejudices, I guess. So Yeah, and we'll get I'll, I'll bring it up when we get to it because it's near the end, but it's probably the funniest and probably the most realistic kind of line throughout the whole episode. I both laughed. I was like, that's so freaking true. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. So this episode, it starts in the town of Gibsonton, Florida, uh, which is a real place in Florida. Um, it, they, they talk about it in the episode itself, but Gibsonton is a town. It's unincorporated, uh, and it was basically... Uh, formed as a sideshow wintering town. It's where everybody from Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey, Greatest Show on Earth Circus went to spend the winter. So like the Lobster Boy and the Siamese Twins and everybody lived there. Uh, so that's where this is set. And it opens up on a night. There's two brothers. They're playing in their outdoor swimming pool and a mysterious figure comes at them from the woods surrounding their home and you get kind of like glimpses of like an eye and a hand and a foot and they're all kind of like deformed and weird looking uh in this shape you think is coming to attack these boys because it slips into the pool and then we get an underwater shot um like approaching the boys and then the boys finally realize something's about to happen. And the figure jumps up and is like, Mrah! and the boys just start laughing. 
Uh, and we realize that this this deformed looking man is actually the boy's father, and yeah, he's like so he's like the living he's like a human crocodile. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's the alligator man. He has a skin yeah. condition. He essentially has a more real world version of what Killer Croc has in the Batman comics. Yeah, um, where he. Uh, ichthyosis is what i'm looking at the term of it right here it's called uh ichthyosis it's a skin disorder that makes your thin thick and scaly so he looks like the alligator man and he's like oh come on boys you know you gotta go inside like your mother thinks you're already getting ready for bed and you're out here playing in the pool go inside and they do and so the alligator man he is there to just keep swimming in his pool, you know, he's home, and he's, you know, at one point the boys uh, say to him before they go inside, you see some really weird stuff this year, Dad? And he's like, yeah, I saw some weird stuff, but I'll tell you about it in the morning. And he's swimming in the pool, and suddenly another mysterious figure comes towards the pool, and we only get a few glimpses of this one, but this one attacks and kills the alligator man, which is what we thought the alligator man was going to do to the children. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, opening not gonna credits. Lie, not going to lie, I half expected them to keep that rolling, and it was like the mom, because I thought the mom would have like the same thing it was or a similar <laughs> thing. Like, it's just, I like, like who we find out going. the mom is later, though. Yeah, I like that, too. Uh, we'll talk about that too. It's a brief thing because we only see her. There's no like special scenes with her or anything really. But um, Mulder and Scully, you know, they are uh, in their office and Mulder gets the uh, photos of the alligator man's death and he's got this weird big hole in his side and Mulder's like, you know, um, there's been... Attacks like this going on for 28 years, they've happened in every state in the, in the union, you know, every state in the country, uh, it's always this same thing, this same big hole in the side, and, you know, I, I would think it was a serial killer, except usually serial killers escalate or they change something or they get sloppy or anything or something like that. But this has just always been the same. And this time it happened to the alligator man in this community of former circus sideshow performers. So they go to Gibsonton, they go to the funeral of the alligator man. And at the funeral, this is where we may, uh, this is where we learn that this is the community of the sideshow performers. Because when they sit down at the funeral, you notice like the priest is turning the pages of the Bible with his feet. Um, and that the boy's mother is the bearded lady. <laughs> and um, a couple of uh, little people. Uh, yep, few little people. Fox is sitting next to like a huge dude. Yes, and he's, uh, so, but at the, when they're there, um, the coffin starts to shake, and they take the coffin away, and up from the ground bursts, uh, Jim Rose, um, who in this is called, he calls himself Dr. Blockhead, and 
he is like, I didn't know the deceased very well, but I'm sure the only way to honor him is by escape. You know, he was the greatest escape artist since Houdini. And let me now drive this railroad spike into my own chest. Yes. And um, everybody gets pissed off. And um, Mulder and Scully, you know, they all jump up. And Mulder and Scully remain seated in their seats. And Mulder's like, boy, I can't wait to see the wake. Yes. Um, so afterward, they meet... Um, these self-made freaks, they meet uh, Dr. Blockhead, Jim Rose, and they meet the geek sidekick, the Conundrum, uh, played by the Enigma. And god damn it, I can't believe that in the Enigma, if nobody knows, you've seen this guy, even if you don't know his name, his body, he's covered head to toe in tattoos of blue puzzle pieces. Um... And nowadays, his eyeballs are completely black and he has horns as well. He didn't back then. Um, and actually, I think he's since gotten more of those tattoo, uh, more of those puzzle pieces tattooed yeah, blue as well. Good for him. He's a weird dude. His his uh, he, his real name is Paul Lawrence, and at this point, uh, I'm not even sure how old he is he's gotta be in his 50s by now um he began his jigsaw puzzle tattooing process on december 20th 1992 according to his biography here uh he's a weird weird dude and you've definitely seen him especially if you've watched this episode but you would probably seen him before this episode (laughs) Um, no, I mean, I've TV. definitely seen this guy before. Uh, mm-hmm. Definitely more so with the horns and the mm-hmm. body piercings and all that. Yeah, stuff. and his eyeballs, I think, are black. Yeah, they're now. blacked out like now. Complete... Yeah, he's... Um... In this episode, he's oh, playing... I Did just you look up a picture of... No, well, I... Picture of him picture... now? The picture of him now is not too different, except now he's part of a band, I guess. And huh. he's married to a woman named Kadzen the Tiger Lady, who, like Katzen the Enigma, the okay. is completely tattooed with tiger stripes and oh. and is uh, like had a bunch of surgery to have like hairs and whiskers. Oh, and, <laughs> these and so, are. Ooh. Real old school circus freak people. <laughs> Dennis is yeah. Wow. Like I'm just I just saw it was like picked. It must have been. Bef- it looks like it was before he blackened out his eyes at least. But man. <laughs> mm. Oh, we I skipped ahead a little bit. I didn't mean to. Um. Because I skipped ahead to them meeting uh, the conundrum and the. I skipped over it right after the funeral. Um, they're at the diner with the local sheriff who is, uh, Sheriff James Hamilton and Mulder notices on the menu at the, and you know, uh, Hamilton is the one who's like, you know, these are good people. They all just kind of came here to be insular to kind of like, yes, they go out on the world, go out in the world and are like 
sideshow freaks, but they come here to kind of just be away from the rest of the world. Um, they're good people, and Scully's like, yeah, well, maybe, like, um, it, maybe since this has been going on so long, and they've been going out in the world and being treated like freaks, like, maybe um, some of them are harboring, like, resent. someone here is harboring, like, deep resentment and everything, and the sheriff's like, no, look, like, these are normal people. I know people look at them and are like, God, they're monsters or whatever, but they're just regular people, and Scully's like, okay, fine, but if you're going to admit that they're just normal people, then you, you know, people think that serial killers, before they're caught, are just normal people, so you have to admit then that someone here could be capable of committing these murders. Um, And Mulder notices a drawing of the Fiji mermaid, I knew it was the Fiji mermaid before they, they go through a weird explanation scene where they go to, um, the owner of the house of horrors, uh, the fun house who is like, it's not a fun house. It's a, whatever he calls it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a place where people get scared. People get fun scared. House. We see it later. It's not that scary. Um, and he's listening to the weirdest music in the world when they well, go it's see not him. That year, it's it's Howlin', uh, what's his name? Uh, Howlin' J. Howlin' J. I know the song. Oh, is it uh, Howlin'? Uh, it's not Screamin' Jay Hawkins, is it? Yeah, it's Screamin' Jay Hawkins. Oh, okay. Um, I'm pretty, yeah, because I, uh, let's see, Screamin' Jay, I'm pretty sure. Cause it's or was it Howlin'? Guy. There is a Howlin' no, guy, scream, too. It's, no, it's Screamin', it's Screamin' Jay Hawkins. Okay, because there's Screamin' Jay Hawkins, and then there's another guy. You were talking about Howlin' uh, Wolf. I was thinking Howlin' Wolf for some reason. Okay, Um, it is Howlin' Wolf. But but it's definitely Screamin' Jay Hawkins. Um, Okay. I'm trying to remember the name of the song because he plays it multiple times. I think it's the Constipation Blues. Maybe. Maybe. At some, yeah. Um, yeah, uh... So they go and they meet this guy and Mulder's like, hey, what is this drawing here? And it's like, it's the Fiji mermaid, which, and he explains it because, um, you know, maybe not everybody knows what it is, but he explains like, look, this is, um, it was a hoax back created by P.T. Barnum, um, he sewed the top half of a mummified monkey to the bottom half of a fit to the tail of a fish and presented it as a mermaid but it was so bad nobody believed it and he flipped it and presented it to the world as this is a genuine hoax which amazing (laughs) like pt barnum and then uh Mulder pulls out some tracks and it He's like, uh, there are these tracks found at all these murders. Um, you know, they, they can't identify what they are, but they suspect that maybe it is uh, Simeon. And the guy is like, wait a minute, you think the Fiji mermaid did this? And Scully's like, remember what P.T. Barnum said about suckers? And then she just kind of jut- juts her chin in Mulder's direction. <laughs> um, which is so funny. And then Mulder is like, hey, uh, we need a place to stay. And the, um, 
the uh, sheriff is like, okay, fine. And he takes them to the Gulf Breeze Trailer Court, which is a reference to the Gulf Breeze UFO incident of 1987, uh, which was also mentioned in Season 1, Episode Fallen Angel. Uh, it was a big, famous... I'm not going to go into it. Anybody who's interested in UFO shit can look it up on their own. Um, <clears throat> and they meet Mr. Nutt, who is a little person. And um, he is the the manager. And he climbs up a little um, staircase to reach the desk. And Mulder is like, Hey, did you ever happen to work for the circus? And Mr. Nutt is like, why? Because I'm a little person? You're just assuming because I'm short of stature that my only way of making my way in the world would be to sideshow myself and humiliate myself for the public and that I couldn't have obtained a degree in hotel management? He just and goes Mulder's off like, and I love it. <laughs> it's so funny. And Mulder's like, no, no, I was just, he goes, well, let me tell you about making assumptions. <laughs> I could look at you with your off the rack gray suit and your tie with the boring print. And I could assume that you work for the government. You could be an FBI agent. How do you feel about that? And Mulder's <laughs> like, I am an FBI agent. And he pulls out his ID. <laughs> And Mr. Nutt is like, ugh, sign here. <laughs> and he calls for Lanny, who is a big dude uh, with, we find out, a dead conjoined brother hanging off of his side. Um, and Lanny is also an alcoholic, and he's a little bit slow because... Uh, as he's walking them to their trailers, he's like, you know, I used to work for the circus. I um, Best job I've ever had. Best job I ever had. All I had to do was stand there. And sometimes I would even say, I'm Lanny. And this is my brother, Leonard. He's shy. Big laughs. Everybody applauds. Yeah. And here are your trailers. Unless, of course, they're not, which means I'm wrong. I'm wrong. <laughs> Good night. And he walks away. He goes, don't let the bed bugs bite. And then he turns around and comes back and is like, oh, no, no, no wait, wait, no, I didn't, I didn't mean that we have bed bugs. I just, <laughs> poor guy. Um, and then, uh, and then they wake up the next, the, the next yeah, morning of uh, Mulder goes for a run. Where he first runs into the freak. That's when or, he sees the conundrum. Yeah, the, the yeah conundrum. he sees the con the conundrum crawl out of the river with a live fish and start eating it. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, Scully is back in her trailer and she wakes up and she's kind of staring out the window and she sees somebody fall past the window of her trailer and she sits up thinking something weird is going on. But then she looks outside and she notices like there's just somebody out there uh, practicing trampoline stunts and somebody else is uh, practicing like their tightrope act. And then there's a banging on her door and she runs over to the door and she opens it and it's Lanny 
and Lanny is in his bathrobe, and you can see, like, his dead half-brother hanging off his side, and Scully, like, kind of stares at that, and then Scully's side boob is hanging out, <laughs> and Lanny is staring at her side boob, and, oh, we get some nice Gillian Anderson side boob in side this episode. <laughs> Look at that side boob. <laughs> you like that? Well, you shouldn't, because that's my side Hi there, and welcome to the Peter Griffin side boob hour. A wonderful look back on all the partial nudity network television used to offer. Look at that side boob. Check out this side boob. How about that side boob? That turn you on? Well, it shouldn't, because that's my side boob. Good night, everybody. The side boob hour? Boob. <laughs> and right here, I just dropped in that soundbite in post-production from <laughs> Family Guy. <laughs> <laughs> that is where I just dropped in that sound. Anyway, they both kind of like realize that they're staring at each other and he covers up his brother and she covers up her side boob. And he's like, I gotta uh, say, that's, I gotta say that was actually a, not only was that just a fun moment, that was actually a kind of a smart moment. Uh, mm. Just because of like, it, you know, women have to deal with men always kind of looking at their cleavage, whatever, which sure. way. And mm-hmm. so having that kind of brief moment where it's like, they're both looking at each other because it's something, it's something curious, curiously different. Well, they're both making each other. They both yeah. realize they're making each other uncomfortable. Yeah, it's, yeah, you're I like right. It. I agree. It actually, yeah, it is actually pretty good. Uh, and we did just do the two of us, although it's pretty on brand for us. We did just do a whole bit about Jillian Anderson's boobs. <laughs> yeah, it's very, very on brand <laughs> with us, but it's very true. <laughs> So it's what they, it's just in, so yeah, that happens. And he's like, oh, uh, the sheriff is looking for you. And this is when they go and they find out that, um, the guy that they met the day before was killed and they are like, yeah, the owner of the fun house. And they're like, okay, he's dead. And they're like, oh, wow. Uh, the killer crawled in through this window. Look, there's there's blood on the outside. Why would there be blood on the outside? And how did somebody fit through that window? It's a little teeny window. It would have to be a contortionist. And Mulder's like, contortionist, huh? And he goes, and this is where they meet uh, Dr. Blockhead and the conundrum. Uh, Dr. Blockhead is suspended upside down over a pot of hot water escaping from a straitjacket and he gets down and he's like you know um where you know i'm a blockhead and he, he hammers the nail in and um Mulder pulls it out of his nose for him and notices that there's blood on the end of the nail so he kind of like palms it he keeps it because he wants to. And then this is when the conundrum pops up out of the pot of hot water, <laughs> which and they're like, me, which made me curious. I'm like, so if the if the block if Doctor Blockhead did not did not get out of the straitjacket in time, he'd fall in the pot of water with the conundrum. Also, because the. Because the pot is over the fire, we're led to believe that it is a pot of boiling water? Yeah, that's what my Um, assumption is. But because the conundrum is in there, I can only assume it is hot tub temperature water? I guess. (laughs) 
And this is when we find out that the conundrum is a geek, which a geek in the circus sense is just somebody who will eat anything. They eat live animals. They eat, um, he lists off a bunch of stuff, rocks, corkscrews, glass, um, sideshow geeks were people who just would eat anything. Um, really, again, just really fucking bizarre. <laughs> Um, although not as bizarre as side tangent, this is a story I'm going to tell, and it's not my story. It's a story, but Penn Jillette always tells a story. He's told it multiple times in interviews and stuff about when he was a carny, he knew a guy who did not buy his own food, didn't do groceries, didn't cook. He would just reach into the trash and pull out whatever somebody had thrown away. He would just eat like hot dogs and popcorn and stuff that had just been in the trash. And I'm like, that is a haunting, haunting idea that this guy Uh, just lived off trash food. That's so gross. Um, Yeah. And the, the conundrum, uh, Dr. Blockhead dumps a whole lot of, uh, crickets in his mouth and then goes, Oh, I'm sorry. Where are my manners? And he holds out the crickets and Scully's like, okay. And she reaches in, she grabs one and puts it in her mouth and chews it. And Mulder just walks away. And then (laughs) Scully, he's like, he gives her like a weird look as they're walking away. And she pulls the cricket out from behind his ear. And she's like, eh, my, you know, my uncle was an amateur magician. I just palmed it. And Mulder's like, Okay, well, I'm going to go get the Dr. Blood, uh, Dr. Blockhead's blood compared to that blood we found on the outside of the window. And he makes the nail appear. And then he's like, everybody's uncle was an amateur magician. <laughs> <laughs> and so in the meantime, Scully goes to the uh, local museum that was all like the history of the town and the history of circus freaks and everything. I keep calling them circus freaks because I can't come up with a better term i know it's not necessarily the polite term uh sideshow performers i guess i'll call them and she you know uh is greeted by the proprietor who has some extremely severe deformity he looks like he's melting on one side of his face his hand Um, when he puts on on uh on scully's like shoulder Mm-hmm. Just like well, I was just like, what? What is he going through? Because it's like almost mm-hmm. like a skeleton hand. Yeah, he's got something pretty severe going on. He tells this story about uh, Scully, or not Scully. He tells this story to Scully about uh, these famous conjoined twins who, like, one of them woke up one morning and his brother was dead, and he realized that. He was going to die very soon. And when they found them, like the first one that had died had officially died of like a brain hemorrhage. And Scully's like, well, what did the other one die of? And he's like, fright. And then he hands her a flyer for Jim Jim, the dog faced boy. And then goes, oh, and by the way, back here, I obtained one of the. Uh, original uh, artifacts from P.T. Barnum's original circus or something like that. And he's like, would you, but it's only for the deeply intellectually curious. 
and don't tell anybody what dollars. <laughs> I'll need an extra five dollar donation if you want to go see it, and you can't tell anybody what you see back there. And she walked. It's just, God, this is the best. She gets had so bad. <laughs> Because she walks back there, she lifts open the lid of the trunk that's in the back room, and there's nothing in it, and the exit sign turns on. And this is based on a supposedly true story, I don't think there's any way to verify it, that P.T. Barnum had so many people coming to his his sideshow that he couldn't turn them out fast enough and he had to find a clever way to get them out of the tent and so he would say and this way to the whatever kind of exhibit like a very whatever kind of exhibit and it was another line i want to say to the sortie he called it the sortie which a lot of it might not have been sortie because sortie is french for exit but it was some um other language word for exit but of course most people especially in the united states don't speak a second language so he would say this way to the whatever word he had chosen they'd walk through the door and they'd be on the outside he had tricked them (laughs) into thinking it was another exhibit but it was the exit to get them the hell out of the tent (laughs) so that happens to scully she gets had real bad Mulder uh meets back up with her and is like, okay, so the blood types, they're both O positive, but I couldn't find out anything more about them. But I did find out that Dr. Blockhead is not uh, from, he originally said he was from like Kurz, some, some other country. Yeah. Some other country. I can't remember where he said he was from. He's like, he's not from there. He's from like Cleveland and his name is whatever. And he's not a real doctor, which <laughs> and Scully's like, well, I've been busy too. I found out about this, this young man who was discovered in the wild when he was a child and he was like feral boy and he couldn't speak and he was taken in and this and that. And he grew up and, you know, he, he was in the circus for quite a while, but he grew up and he took a career in law enforcement and his name is James Hamilton. And he's like, and Mueller's like, wait, the sheriff? And she's like, yep, he used to be Jim Jim the dog, the dog face boy. Um, and so they go to the sheriff's house because they're having a really hard time figuring out what is going on in this case. And they see the sheriff burying something in his backyard. And they're like, okay, well, we got to go dig that up. And so they're going to dig it up. And suddenly, and suddenly uh, Mulder says something while they're digging where he's like, you know, just because a guy used to have a lot of hair on his face doesn't mean we're dealing with a case of clinical lycanthropy. And Scully's like, oh, my God. She's like, we're... It's like assuming someone is guilty because of the color of their skin, isn't it? And Mulder's like, yeah. (laughs) And they like realize in that moment that they think maybe he's the killer simply because he used to have a lot of hair on his face. Yeah. And look like a dog. And they bend down to pull out whatever they dug up. And at that moment, the sheriff shines a light in their face. He's like, you mind telling me what you're doing? 
And Mulder's like, we were just digging up your... And he reaches into the hole and he's like, potato. And the sheriff is like, yeah, do you mind telling me why you were digging up my potato? (laughs) And... Scully's like, well, you know, um, <laughs> this whole bit is just funny. Well, she's trying so hard to, she's like, you know, serial killers, they, they often have like a, an interest in law enforcement. And so when we're looking into serial killers, we, we have to look at like, like the, the local, local law, law enforcement and, op- and Mulder's is like, we know you used to be Jim, Jim, the dog face boy. <laughs> <laughs> and he hands him the flyer and the sheriff's like, whoa, look at how thin I used to be back then and Mulder's like okay but what about the potato and he's like oh um I have warts on my hands and Mulder's like that doesn't explain the potato but that doesn't explain the potato and the sheriff is like well to get rid of warts you rub a potato on your hand and then bury it in your yard under the full moon <laughs> and they and then he looks at Mulder and Scully he's like your investigation's not going very well is it <laughs> and they just kind of shake their heads uh, and also the sheriff explains, yeah, I used to be Jim Jim, but all of a sudden, you know, one day I woke up and I realized I had a bald spot and eventually I lost all of my hair. Well, on my face, the rest of my body is pretty hairy, which is why I don't go to the beach. <laughs> so yeah. stupid, but so funny too. Uh, so Mulder and Scully, they go back to the, the, um, their trailer park where they're staying or their trailer court, the little hotel where they're staying and Scully is in her trailer and Mulder is going to see her at her trailer. Um, and he notices there's somebody under her trailer and he realizes it's Mr. Nut. And he's like, Oh, having a good time under there. (laughs) And Mr. Nut is like, excuse me. Do you assume that just because I am, short of stature that I have to get my thrills vicariously, I will have you know that many women are very interested and intrigued by my height. And Mulder's like, yeah, and I'll have you know that a lot of men are too. (laughs) (laughs) And Mr. Nuts... And Mr. Nuts like, I, oh, oh, and he says he was under the trailer because he was fixing the plumbing. And he storms off and Scully pops her head out the door and she's like, oh, it's you. Did Mr. Nut finish fixing my plumbing? <laughs> and um, Mr. Nut goes back into his office. Uh, and before the, it, and then we see a dog running around and the conundrum is chasing the dog. Uh, presumably because he wants to eat it. I mean, that would be my assumption. Uh, and the dog runs into Mr. Nut's office through the doggy door, and Mr. Nut opens the door, and the conundrum is there, and he stands up, and he takes a check off his loincloth and hands it to Mr. Nut. And Mr. Nut shuts the door, and he says to his dog, why is it the freaks that always pay their rent in advance? And then there's like a sound at his door and he turns around. He's like, look, you tattooed blue freak. I have a licensed firearm and I am looking for a reason to use it. 
and the monster comes through the doggy door and attacks Mr. Nut, and Mr. Nut dies. And the next morning, uh, Scully is asleep in her bed, and Lanny bursts into her trailer, and she almost shoots him. And he's like, he's dead, he's dead, he's dead. And they go to uh, investigate, and they find the conundrum's pin, which is he uses these little skull head pins, and so does Dr. Blockhead. And they're like, well, uh, came in through the doggy door, contortionist, skull pin, gotta be, at this point, our only suspect is Dr. Blockhead. So they go to arrest Dr. Blockhead, and he is in his home with a bunch of hooks through his chest, which is why I brought up that I know somebody who does that kind of thing. You know, like a normal person. It's so... She seems basically normal like she works at a radio station she's just she looks you know normal and everything she's i mean she's got a few piercings and everything but nothing i would consider extreme and then it's like oh and also i hang from hooks it's like okay yeah it's so weird um and they're like all right we're here to arrest you and he's like did you forget i'm an escape artist and he slips the handcuffs runs out the door and they go to follow him, and the sheriff is outside, and he has him by the hooks in the chest. He's like, look what I caught, and he gives it a tug. And they bring him to, uh, oh, and uh, also the sheriff earlier uh, let Lanny, because uh, Lanny was very drunk, and the sheriff was like, and he was like freaking out and pounding on the walls and everything, and He's like, yeah, he gets like this sometimes. I'll throw him in the drunk tank and he'll be fine. Um, so Lanny is in the drunk tank when they bring Dr. Blockhead in. So when they're catching Dr. Blockhead, we cut to Lanny who's hanging out in the drunk tank. And something starts happening. We hear like a noise and everything. And Lanny is like, no, no. And we think he is being attacked now. But when they bring Dr. Blockhead to the jail, they hear a sound and it's Lanny. And they go in to investigate and they find out that Lanny's conjoined brother, Leonard, is able to detach himself from Leonard's body or from Lanny's body rather and go crawling around because he wants a new brother. Apparently Leonard hates Lanny. So he attempts to go conjoin himself to other people, which is now we know what's been killing all these people. Did you see that coming? Um, as the episode went on, I started to get the idea (laughs) <laughs> like, like the more they focus more, like, little by little on it, I was like, oh, mm-hmm. it's probably some weird, uh, that's why I said before, when I was texting you the other day, I'm like, oh, man, this is almost like Basket Case. Which okay, because I don't know what Basket Case, you, you mentioned uh, Todd Browning's Freaks, which I know. Yeah, Tom Browning's I... Freaks is amazing, but also, uh, it's a movie from the 80s, I believe. Uh, the basic gist of it is... Guy, bro, uh, two brothers, uh, mm-hmm. sort of like Leonard and Lenny, 
uh, where you have one guy and then kind of like a deformity piece that's attached to him. Um, they get separated at birth, uh, like at a young age, and then after time, the defect, the other brother, um, go starts going on a killing spree because he wants to get a, he wants to kind of the opposite effect. He wants to stay close to his brother, but they can't be like actually attached. So oh, okay. He car- so he carries his brother around in a basket. And any time that his brother tries to have... Like, they're going on a revenge trail, trying to find everyone that, like, took that took them apart. Okay. And then when the, bro- when the good brother starts falling for, like, a girl and all stuff... I can't remember the freaking thing's name. It's mm-hmm. Belial. That's the name's Belial. Belial starts getting jealous... Uh, and starts murdering people because he wants to be the only one in his life. Hmm. Okay, yeah, that is actually pretty similar. That's cool. Yeah. Very cheesy for today's standards now when you rewatch it, but still so much fun. There's a great shot where he gra- the, the, the Belial grabs a guy by the mm-hmm. dick and just throws him in the ceiling. <laughs> that is pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> so, um... Yes, so we find out that Lanny can detach himself or anything, and they Scully looks out the window and sees Leonard crawling away, so she and Mulder uh, chase him out into the night, and Leonard goes inside the the funhouse, and really fun scene of Mulder and Scully trying to chase (laughs) this thing through the funhouse, like, uh, there's like the skeleton that pops out, and... Scully accidentally shoots a bunch of mirrors and, and then like almost shoots um, Fox as he comes down a slide. Yeah, it's just Mulder's funny how he like, comes down the slide. He just comes down the slide and he's like, "I thought I heard shooting." <laughs> and finally, she's like, "All right, maybe we should just catch him outside because they've been going through the mazes and everything." And they go outside, and what happens is they're leaving the funhouse is. The conundrum is outside and he is creeping around trying to catch the dog again, but he gets attacked by Leonard and Mulder and Scully hear the screaming and the fighting and they run up and the conundrum is just lying on the ground and Mulder is like, hey, did you see yet? Uh, um, uh, never mind, maybe he went this way. Because <laughs> he doesn't even know how to describe what they're chasing. <laughs> and it's at this point that you realize that the... They, Mulder and Scully don't realize, but we, the audience, realize the conundrum ate Leonard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because he's rubbing his belly and there's like a gurgling sound or he burps or something like that. <laughs> Um, so it's the next morning and the, they're still searching for Leonard. They think that Leonard got away. Uh, Dr. Blockhead is strapping all his possessions to his Volkswagen Beetle. (laughs) And he's getting ready to leave and they're like, oh, you're running away. He's like, yeah, but you know. Um, with all the modern science and everything, 
he's like, yeah, well, now, you know, eventually that thing will go back to its brother. And Scully's like, mm, no, Lanny died last night of cirrhosis of the liver, which is why Leonard was trying to escape him because Lanny was an alcoholic and he was dying. Um, and she's like, you know, he fed him and everything. And Dr. Blockhead's like, that's fine. In a few years, modern science is going to just go ahead and eradicate all kinds of freaks and everything. That's why it's up to self-made freaks like me in the conundrum to remind people that nature abhors normality. Like nothing can be wrong. Nothing will be perfect forever. Like eventually a mutation will happen. And Scully's like, why is that? And he's like, I don't know. Maybe just some mysteries will never be solved. And they look in the window at the conundrum. And Mulder's like, hey, he looks pretty sick. What's the matter? And the and Dr. Blockhead's like, I don't know. And the conundrum looks up at Mulder. He's like, probably something I ate. And then they drive off. And Mulder and Scully look at each other confused. And that's the end of the episode. I think my favorite part of that last bit was as as Mr. Blockhead Blockhead's talking about, Dr. Blockhead's talking about like all this stuff. He just like it's soon the world's gonna be just like that guy and points because uh, Fox is a little bit away, but he's doing like the Captain Morgan yeah. dance. <laughs> it's just he's funny. just like can you imagine going through life looking like that? Yeah, <laughs> it's just Fox just on the just Captain Morgan stancing. You're like, right, oh, it is because yeah. he's got one foot up on like a step yeah. and he's got and both he's like, hands on his hip and his yeah, he's Captain Morgan. <laughs> I didn't even realize it till you pointed it out. But oh, he absolutely so funny. is. And that it's just and he, you know the the point is obviously to make him look all like handsome and perfect and everything. And then Doctor Blockhead just be like, can you imagine going through your whole life looking like that? Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. But overall, like I thoroughly enjoyed this episode a lot. It definitely hits some areas that I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, it reminded me a lot of Freaks and the ba- and Basket Case. Yep. I give, and also just the over-encompassing arc of, nev- of yeah, it's all, pr- it's like prejudice and trying to, it's the same deal as if you're judging someone by the color of their skin. Mm-hmm. Uh, I give this an A, personally. Yeah, this is straight up, uh, really damn good i always have a blast watching this one you probably could tell from me talking about it i think this episode is really good even though it is the 20th episode of the second season like if somebody had said to me uh i want to check out the x-files what is an episode i should start with i might recommend this one not necessarily because they're going to get like the most story out of it but the this one to me presents a pretty good feel of like here's Mulder and Scully they're investigating this really weird thing going on uh but you're also gonna have a ton of fun watching it because it has just enough of that humor that at the time they thought was too much but it turns out like a, they would make more episodes like this going forward. 
So, I mean, to me, Humbug is a, a complete A+. plus. I think this episode's a blast. Yeah, it's so much fun. Yeah. And like you said, um, there's stuff in it that's interesting. Like, I think... I don't know a ton about it, but I always like to get, like, a little bit of information about, like, the history. Because those real-world sideshows um, were... <clears throat> As they kind of point out in this episode, they were, at the same time, capitalizing on humiliating people's deformities and displaying people's deformities for entertainment purposes. But also, a lot of those people took some pride in what they did because it was the only way they could, like, earn money in society and feel like they were kind of pulling their own weight. So they kind of turned it around a little bit in terms of like, well, people are going to stare and point at us if we're out in public, we might as well just turn it in. So like the history of the sideshow world is just something that's a little bit interesting to me. Like I said, I don't know a ton about it, but I always appreciate getting little bits and pieces about it. <clears throat> yeah, I, I strongly recommend for, uh, especially as we're getting down to the wire with spooky Halloween stuff. Freaks. Um, freak. I would de- strongly suggest, I think it's still on HBO Max, uh, mm-hmm. but Todd Browning's Freaks, uh, if you get a chance, if anyone gets a chance to watch it, really good piece just on the culture as well as how some people, like they, because they use real, uh, for the, for lack of a better term, real freaks in those films. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a very interesting piece. And also if anyone gets a chance to watch basket case, it is a little bit more like killer clowns from outer spacious, uh, not over the top of like that, but it does have that kind of similarity of it's kind of goofy, but it does have some resemblance to this as well. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't think it's streaming on anything as far as I know, you might have to rent it, but probably, always yeah. strongly recommend stuff like that, that because that's probably what I'm going to watch later tonight. Cool. Take right, a break well, from my Friday the 13th fests. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, the next episode, everybody's homework is the Kalusari, which is kind of a spooky episode. I'm just, I'm looking at the, uh, summary here brushing up on my memory of it and i have a memory of enjoying this one it's it's kind of occulty i'll put it that way there's some some spooky stuff going on in this one with with uh, ghosts and demons and whatnot and that's all i'll mention because i want everybody else to discover it on their own if they haven't already sweet later everyone later The FBI's Most Unwanted is a production of Two Broke Geeks Entertainment and is part of the Atomic Geekdom Network. Find the flagship Two Broke Geeks podcast wherever you download podcasts or online at twobrokegeeks.com. You can find the Atomic Geekdom Network at atomicgeekdom.com. Our artwork is by Justin Kowalski. You can find him on Twitter at J underscore Rocka. Our theme music is by Tony Longworth. You can find him on Twitter at 
Tony Longworth or on Facebook, Tony Longworth Dark Composer. You can help out the podcast by subscribing and leaving us a review. Thanks. 